Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today we have a guest with us, David Skillen, and I'm going to let Fuliana introduce him. Thanks Kim. Welcome David. I'm very fortunate that I worked with David for a few years. In fact, in Australia, David was my boss and I was very fortunate in that regard. I learned a lot from David. David has been in banking for over 30 years. He worked in very senior roles in Australia, in the UK, in the US and Asia Pacific. Some of those roles included being head of cards, Asia Pacific, chief operating officer. He also worked in South Africa, running 13 countries. Online, you will find the full detail of David's experience. And he is going to be with us today and talk about some of that experiences. But just before I go on to that, I also like to share that David is a Foundation Fellow of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and Senior Member of the Australian Computer Society. Right now, David sits on many boards, both here and overseas, including KPMG, Essex Lakes, and also he is on boards of areas that he loves in the sports field, which is like the Water Board Federation, and he chairs the investment vehicle in the Australian water sport industry. So welcome, David, again. Hello, David. You get to speak now. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Fuliana. Thank you, Kim. This is something new for me, but I'm looking forward to having a chat this morning. Let's first start with an idea of how you see culture in organisations. And I'm interested both in terms of the structured business organisation as well as the recreational organisations. So culture. Yeah, and it's a term which is more and more being used, isn't it? I think that in society we all know that we need to conform in different ways and we develop our own values, we develop values as a family, as an individual in our business. We know that businesses have strategies and now more often we're hearing about cultures and the question often is put, what's the connection between these and where does culture fit in? For me, um, culture is a centrepiece. Because often we define values as outcomes more than as inputs. And strategies just cannot be well executed and sufficiently executed without the right culture to underpin that. So I look at culture as something um, which is very much worthy of a long discussion, particularly in the corporate sphere, as to what it is, how it's built, why we need it, and very importantly, how the softer things like culture fit with the harder things like technologies and how that is something which together the sum of the parts is greater. The, the whole, I'm sorry, is greater than the sum of the parts. Yep. And that you know, leads to a corporation which can be great and is differentiated. You may join our great debate on goals and mission statements. <laughs> Fuliara and I have disagreement on this topic. Do you see that an organisation that has already set its goals and its mission statement, does that drive the culture or does the culture drive the mission statement? Look, I don't think there's any problem with an organisation having a well-defined set of mission statements, of goals, of objectives, of ways to measure it, etc. In fact, it's necessary. But ultimately, they also have to know what their culture should be or know what their culture is and make sure that that is something which can support 
underpin and even drive the execution of those strategies and of those goals. There's a famous uh, management consultant called Peter Drucker, whom just about everybody has either heard of, read about or studied. And you know, Peter's statement of last year really is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And I think from that he meant that you can do this, the great piece of work to figure out who you are, where you want to be, what products and services you're going to offer and how you're going to go about that and build your your strategy for execution for the next period, whether it's a near term or a long term. But if you haven't got the culture which works in the way to optimise the execution, then you're not going to be the best in the field. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what is culture, for me, it's a set of attitudes, a set of beliefs, a set of behaviours. And if they're the attitudes, beliefs and behaviours, you know, then you can't have the right interoperation of the company at many levels. Mm -hmm. The people working together won't form the types of teams, have the types of trust, reduce the outcomes, work so that each of them you know, is covered when they've got some difficulty to get the outcome still achieved. You won't have the automatic decision making around some of the legal issues as well as around some of the issues of, of value that is required. A company which has got the right culture and is consistent in its culture is likely to have a person in one area or geography making the same decision in the same circumstances as somebody in a different geography without having discussed it. It's just so efficient a way to operate. Consistency is very valuable. When you've got an organisation that is quite disparate and, and geographically as well as physically, where do you start to find out what the culture is or to set a culture? I think that's a very good question and quite a difficult question nevertheless. Leadership starts from the top and whilst the culture is actually the aggregation of all of the people in the company and those connected with the company, nevertheless there has to be a leader who decides what we're going to, to do. And I think that people look for that leadership there. So my first response would be that it's incumbent on the leader to start to consider these things, to, to think about the type of culture they want. And it, it seems that what we're focusing on here is corporate culture, the, co the culture that exists of a total organisation and of individuals within that organisation. It's going to have to be a discussion at many levels. Whilst you're looking for the leader for their leadership, they cannot decide that in a vacuum. I think the more that the leader is prepared to come and discuss with the people all the way down through the ranks what it is that they want to achieve, how they want to achieve it, that then gives rise to the conversation in the how about how we're going to behave, how are we going to, what attitudes we'll have, how will I react in similar circumstances. So we need to make sure that all of the people involved, and frankly today there's a degree of openness which is coming into our corporate culture, where our suppliers, our clients, our regulatory authorities, it also has to be able to interoperate with them. We can't have a culture as an island. You know, it has to be a culture that talks about how we fit in with the laws of the land, how we'll comply with them or otherwise, what our attitude will be to these things, and with it, how we'll give input feedback so that we also get improved regulations along the way there. Which really, because I have experience with a hobby organisation as well, if those organisations took on that approach, 
then membership would increase, I would think, because people would be inclined to want to be part of a group that is looking at their, act, their particular activity that way. You know, I'll talk about my own experiences with floral art, and it is a declining membership, and the attitude is that it's declining because it's something that people do when they retire, it's not something that is interesting for younger people, and yet the floristry trade is increasing. So young people are going into it, but they're not spreading themselves out into the artistic side of it, they're staying with the commercial side of it. And I wonder whether that's because the culture of the organisation that fosters the artistic side is set in its ways that is, the culture is we are over this age, we do things this way and that's it. And that's what is presented to anyone who might be thinking about joining it. So I think what you're saying is relevant to both the corporate sector and yeah. to that, the, the sectors outside of the corporate environment. Well, that's actually quite important because if the culture of the organisation is known within and outside by reputation, then by nat naturally you're going to attract the right people. So when you're recruiting, you're recruiting for the right fit, cultural fit, because if somebody is not of the same beliefs, attitudes and behaviours, they're not really going to fit in. So you start off by knowing how to go about recruiting the right person and attracting those right people. And as you said, David, when you're going through from the leadership down, so everybody in all corners of the organisation need to understand that and play the part, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And Kim's example there, <clears throat> I think that the floral art group or the mm. floral art industry could be mm. inward-looking, might mm. enjoy the company of those that have worked in it many years, and actually that's all they want to do. That could be their yeah. default strategy. Mm. But if growth of the industry, if it wants to thrive, if it wants to have continuity of people and some younger folk need to come in as well, then they've got to have a strategy that allows that and the culture yeah. should be redefined or adjusted so that it supports the new strategy there. And the discussion around the importance of the HR function in setting the right words in place for people to show interest there, you know, we discussed a little earlier today, selection, then yeah. recruitment, but the question is, how do they then engage when, they're yes. in the, when they come on board? Yes. You know, what do they find out? What do they learn as the norm? What do they learn as the types of responses to situations? And mm. how do they fit in? So, you know, I think there are filters at mm. each point where people that want to do something different exercise their choice and go and do something different there. Mm. But any person joining an organisation, whether it's commercial or whether it's, um, you know, recreational, there needs to be an ability of the organisation to define who they are and how they operate, how they behave, what their attitudes are, what their beliefs are, so that the person coming in can understand whether that's something for them or not. And then how often, when you have a, a nice culture within the organisation and it's working towards all of the goals that you've set, how often do you review it? How often do you check on it to make sure that it's working, that it's still there where you wanted it to be? That's a good question, yeah. I, I'm not so sure that there's a magic answer. Just reflecting on my experience, you know, you tend to get locked into the corporate timetable. Once a year, <laughs> yep. you do a major review, and normally there's some strategy that's set in the old days five years out, current days maximum three years out, and quite frankly, in the newer companies and the startups, stuff's changing monthly. So, my first response would be why not, as a leader, look at the cycle of the long term? the one that was five years and now is a quarter, 
and look at the cycle that's within that where you do your normal reviews typically monthly or quarterly in a corporation for example there and if you're doing review with just your direct reports you are unlikely to see a change in culture early enough because quite frankly those people are quite familiar with and skilled in washing out the difference that's coming along presenting the things which are aligned and uh, grey and corporate they know how to treat you as an individual what to feed you on in terms of information so the leader just has to have all of that and alternative channels. They've got to find the way to talk. There was a terrific process that was started by the CEO in Barclays Bank when I worked there in London. This was an attempt to have wider management groups, to have a flatness in the way in which people felt they could engage, they didn't have to work structurally, and to also let people express their views quickly and openly and correspondingly expect people to be ready to express their views. So the old Roman Agora style physically was set up. Instead of a conference room with a front and a back, <laughs> and very few people at the front, one or two, and lots of people at the back, tens and hundreds, this was a, a square room, and it had just very harsh benches, three or four high, and everybody sat around the edges, just one little entry point. <laughs> there was no lectern, there was no screen, couldn't project a PowerPoint, and you can talk from the top level, from the middle level, from the bottom level. Now, clearly, somebody had to start this off and run it, the yes. process runner. Yeah. But it didn't have to be the leader. It could just be a process person yeah. who kicked it off. And so, with this Agora-style interaction, the leader was able to get feedback from a range of people, throw ideas out, and expect people to be ready to respond as well. Mm. I think you need that interaction. Reminded of a story about H.J. Hines when he was criticised by his accounting people for every year he would have a, a, what he called the employees picnic day. Mm-hmm. It was out in the forest somewhere and all employees and their families and as many of their families, extended family, came as wanted to come. And he was criticised for having this every year. You know, it's too much money, you know, we, we're, what is it for? It just makes them all feel good and they go away and work for another year. And he said, I will never not have this gathering of my employees. I treat them as family. I expect them to treat me as part of their family. And he said, it is the biggest and best way for me to find out from people who don't work for me what this organisation is like. And that's a terrific pragmatic yeah, example. Yeah, there there yeah, we go, yeah. yeah. Well, in both those examples, the one that you gave about Barclays and Heinz is is very much about a very, very tangible evidence for people to see that how you do things and what the company is trying to say. Every voice is important. I don't want it filtered. I want input. And I think when you demonstrate that, that makes it more how people will go and behave because you're showing them how, you're leading by example, and you're giving them permission, if you like. On that point, David, I was fortunate enough, as I said earlier, working directly for you, but we were in the same country in at least one of the jobs when you were in charge. And I learned a lot from your leadership by leading by example. So 
to me, I was observing how you behaved in certain circumstances, and I modified my ways to, to be better. When you managing and leading 13 countries, how did you do that with other people so they got the benefit that I got from you? Yeah, well, whether I did it well or not with these 13 <laughs> countries is somebody else to decide. It was difficult, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we were pulling together 13 banks, and eventually 11, to be one bank listed in one place over a period of about a year. And you're right, there were 13 country cultures, mm. 13 corporate yeah. cultures, 13 boards of directors, 13 yes. regulators, 13 <laughs> central banks. So the numbers were large, but mm. the issue was how they interoperated. I think there were a few things that helped us be successful there. Two or three things attitudinally which we did. Number one, we went to them. So as we engaged, when we required them to start to speak to us about um, how they'd respond to our request, we went to their country. And structurally an organisation, they were owned by the bank. We had a majority owner or ownership or we had 100% ownership. We could have asked them to come. Yep. Structurally, the CEO of the bank, whilst they reported the local board of directors, also had us as the the major investor and structurally in one corporation, they'd often been appointed from head office and gone off and done their job in this. So it was normal that they would fly to the boss and speak with the boss there. But we went to them and we met at different levels. We we met the board, we met the CEO, we met the management teams, we went off and acknowledged the central bank, acknowledged the regulator, listened to them. And the listening is the next step in this process. You know, we didn't go and tell first, we went and asked who are you? What do you do? What do you want to do? How's the bank going? What do our clients think? How do our customers bank with us? What does the board of directors think? You know, how are we placed in society here, etc.? And we listened to the responses. Now, we had an aim. We wanted to try to build scale from many subscale banks. We wanted to use the same processes. We wanted to share people and systems. We wanted to bring efficiency in that manner. And we wanted to structure it so that it was listed as one entity. And actually, the, the value of that entity would be greater than the sum of the parts. Mm-hmm. So we had an outcome in mind, but the question was how they'd engage to help us achieve that. So we went to them. We listened first. We spoke about the desired outcome in a summary way. And we let them be part of the solution of building that through. And we found that there were many work streams to be done. So the heads of the different work streams came from different groups. Some of them were geographic heads, Mm -hmm. some of them were functional heads, some of them were structural heads. They were seniors in the organisation. And that gave them both a view of what was happening, it gave them a point that they could influence, it gave us a release valve if we were doing something that people weren't like, we Mm. could hear about it. And it let us monitor those streams working together there. So that was Mm. an approach that we took in that case. David, that gives us a great framework to start planning what we might use within our own organisations. I think at this point we'll take a break. So please join us again for the next part of our discussion with David Skillen on organisations and culture. I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Mm -hmm.